Would you take your Bibles and would you turn with me to Acts chapter 16? Acts chapter 16. Next Sunday, the Lord willing, we're going to begin a a series on what we call hot topics. And uh, next Sunday we'll be asking and looking at the scriptures regarding the question, should Christians smoke pot? Now, you know, when I came here in 1994, that, that question would have never, this has never even popped in my head. But if you're paying any attention to the culture, any attention at all, you know why we have to ask that question and answer it. Should a Christian smoke pot? Uh, Should a Christian drink alcohol? Should a Christian view pornography? What is the Christian position on transgenderism, assisted suicide. A number of these things we'll be looking at over the summer Sundays. Um, And so I just invite you, if you can, to be here. If you can't, we we didn't set up the live stream for you to stay home. But if you're away and you're gone and you, like, can't be here for whatever reason, thank God for it. So... Uh, these are important things we'll be looking at, have to, do, have to do with Christian freedom, have to do with wisdom. What do you do, what do you do when the Bible, see the Bible doesn't say thou shalt not smoke pot, but it doesn't say thou shalt smoke pot. So what do you do when there's no clear answer? You need wisdom. You need wisdom. And so... The next few weeks we'll be we'll be tearing into that. But today, Acts chapter sixteen, beginning at verse eleven. For those of you who long to be on the lake, you'll like verse eleven. So setting sail for Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace the following day to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony, we remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had gathered together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. This is God's word. Before I pray, there's a church here in town Church of the Crossroads. It's a church plant. It's been 
around for about a year now. Pastor's name is John Parkey, and I want us to pray for them this morning. Thank God for them. Pray for them as we pray for ourselves today. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the ministry of Church of the Crossroads, with Pastor John Parkey. We want to pray for those men and women, boys and girls, as well as we would pray for ourselves today, that just as Lydia was helped to pay attention, would you help the folks at Church of the Crossroads and, and us today? Would you help us to, to pay attention? And as we pay attention to the beauty of the gospel of Jesus, may it bring about a change of life change of desire, change of direction, as it did for Lydia. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you like to read biographies? Do you like to read biographies? Good. I wish the rest of you would, okay? I wish everybody here liked to read biographies, especially Christian biographies. But let me tell you about a secular biography. Because when you, when you read biographies, you, you learn things about people, sometimes that are good and sometimes that are bad. Uh, and it kind of poisons you for that person. For, for example, Lyndon Johnson, former president. Uh, I read a biography about Lyndon Johnson by Robert Dalek a few years ago, and it told about a particular incident where the German chancellor came to Washington, D.C., came to the White House to visit Lyndon Johnson. And the German chancellor never met Lyndon Johnson before. He was kind of enamored to be in the presence of a, of a uh, U.S. president. And so he, he said, sir, he said, Are, were you the one who was born in a log cabin? And, uh, of course, he was referring to Abraham Lincoln. And, and Lyndon Johnson's response was, no, 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 you're confusing me with Abraham Lincoln. I was born in a manger. It don't take you too long to figure out. That's pretty arrogant. But it doesn't take you too long. You read the biography of Lyndon Johnson. Crude, rude, arrogant person. Changed my whole perspective about him. We have been looking at some biographical sketches in the Bible. The life and times of Cain. The life and times of Delilah. The life and times of Stephen. And today, the life and times of of Lydia. Some of you have been on vacation. Some of you have been to the ocean. Some of the folks in our church have been on a, on a cruise. They've been on the ocean. Some of you have been on vacation. You went to the lake. You enjoyed the lake, whatever you do at the lake. Uh, but I want to take you down to the riverside today, okay? Would you join me? Let's go down to the riverside, and hopefully we'll find a shady spot, and we'll find... Maybe catch a breeze coming in off the river. And we will go down by the riverside today and we'll find a group of ladies. And in that group of ladies is a lady named Lydia. Now, let me give you a little background for this, okay? In Acts chapter 16, when we get to chapter 16 and the events of chapter 16, uh, what we find is Paul, Timothy, Silas, and Luke. Luke is the author of the book of Acts. He is a first-rate historian. Check it out, okay? 
I mean, all of the antagonists and skeptics of Christianity have tried to attack, and they've, they, many of them have come, have come back and said, look, I have to say this, Luke is a first-rate historian. And so what we're reading here is written by Luke under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. So you've got Paul, Timothy, Silas, and Luke, and they are on what is called, what has been called, Paul's third missionary journey. Now, what do you do on a missionary journey? What do you do? What would you think you'd do on a missionary journey? Well, you take the gospel of Jesus Christ. You go and you proclaim the good news of the gospel. And that is what you find in the book of Acts. You find Paul and his associates going from city to city as they're led by the Spirit of God, proclaiming the gospel. And as a result of that, they are planting churches. In other words, People were hearing the gospel, they were believing, and so Paul and his associates were organizing churches and, and, and planting churches and, and, and then providing elders for those churches. They finally now come to the city of Philippi, which is in the district, we're told, of Macedonia, which is in the present-day country of Greece. And they, they come to the city and they, they go down by the river. Now, sometimes they would go to the synagogue. And you read about that in the book of Acts. On the Sabbath day, sometimes Paul would go to the, uh, to the synagogue and he would reason there with the Jews and, 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 and talk to them about the gospel of Jesus Christ. But today, they go down by the riverside. As they go down there, they find a group of ladies who are gathered there. And within this group of ladies, the Holy Spirit draws our attention to Lydia. It doesn't seem like we're given much about this lady, but we do know these following things. And that's what we're going to look at, these following things. One, Lydia is rich. Number two, Lydia is poor. And thirdly, we're going to see Lydia become truly rich. Okay? So here we go. Lydia was rich in the things of this world. Did you notice in the text it mentioned uh, purple dye? Now, why is that a big deal? Well, in the city of Thyatira, which is the city that Lydia is from, uh, in the city of Thyatira, it was known for its purple dye, which was a very valuable commodity in these biblical times. And what we find here is that Lydia is a retailer of purple dye. So what does that mean? It means that she owned her own business. It was a lucrative business because she was a dealer, a retailer in purple dye. Now what does all of that mean? Well, it means this, and we read it in the text. Lydia owned her own home. That is amazing. I mean, women in biblical times, it was rare for them to own a home. But we find here that Lydia owned her own home. And so what do we know? Lydia is a person of means. Lydia was rich in the things of this world. Now, when I say that, I'm not implying that there's anything wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with a person being wealthy, with being a person of means. But it does force us to think about something. 
want you to think about something with me. Every since, or I should say maybe all of my adult life, I have heard that Christianity is a poor man's religion. All my life, I've heard that accusation made. And just so recently, I heard, or I should say read, a story entitled, Why Are the Poor More Religious? Now, as I read this article, there were certain things that were being implied in the article, such as this. If you lived in a certain part of the U.S., Kentucky, Mississippi, Alabama, you lived in certain parts parts of the U.S., or if you had a limited education, maybe you graduated high school, maybe you didn't, or if you are unsophisticated in the things of this world, and if you are poor financially, the article was implying that these are the people who are more drawn to Christianity. You, you, you understand that, right? What, what they're saying is, well, naturally they believe that a man rose from the dead because they're uneducated. They're unscientific. They didn't go beyond the 8th grade or beyond the 12th grade. In good grief, they, they barely have enough money to make ends meet. Of course they believe those silly stories. And conversely, the article went on to say, if you lived in New York City or Chicago or Los Angeles and you were educated, you had your degrees or multiple degrees and you were sophisticated and cultured and you had means, the implication was, of course, you wouldn't buy into these myths and stories. So my question to you is, is that true? Is it true that Christianity is a poor man's religion? That really, really at the end of the day, we're all going to wake up and find out the only reason we believed it is because we just were so poor and and dense and dumb. Is that true? Well, some might say, well, isn't that what the Bible says? For example, James chapter 2. Here's what we read. Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? See, right away, I can hear the skeptics who say, see, see, poor people. Naturally, poor people are going to buy into this. And it does seem on the surface when you read that verse, it sounds like, God's only interested in poor people. But listen, you need to know this. The word poor, translated word poor in English, has a variety of meanings in the Bible. For example, it can mean those who do not have much money. It can mean that. But it also means many more times those who are humble and meek. What I'm saying is, more often when the Bible speaks of poor people, not talking about their financial means, 
It's talking about they are humble and meek. They are people who recognize their dependence upon the Lord and their trust in him for deliverance. And this is no doubt what James is speaking of here when he says God has chosen those who are poor. Because you see, if you, if you read that and you thought, God only chooses poor people, that doesn't sound right, does it? Because God is not a respecter of persons, right? God would be biased if he just chose financially poor people. So no, it's, it's, not, it's not, it doesn't have anything to do with finances. It has to do with humble, meek, dependent, trusting people. So it's not a monetary issue. So here's the question then. Does the Bible offer another explanation for, say, wealthy people, people of means, to reject the gospel? Does it offer another explanation? Yes. In 1 Timothy chapter 6. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. That's proud nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Now, what do we find here? Paul said, Timothy, look, remind people of means, people who have money, remind them not to be haughty. Now, why, why would they be haughty? Why would people who have money be haughty? Proud. Why? Because they have set their hope on their wealth. They're saying to themselves, I've got stuff. I've got stuff accumulated. I inherited this and I've got this and I'm pretty well secure here. I've worked seven days a week for a long time and I've got investments and I've got, I've got stuff. I'm pretty well set. Their hope has been set upon. They built the foundation of their life upon the uncertainty of riches. And that is why I don't, I don't need this Christian stuff. I don't need these stories, these myths. So is there another reason perhaps why wealthy people would say, don't want nothing to do with that? Yeah. They've misplaced their hope. But... Even if you don't have much money at all, you can still misplace your hope. Rich or poor, you can still misplace your hope. So it's not a matter of whether you have money or whether you don't. It's a question of where have you put your trust. So don't be intimidated. People suggest, oh, it's just, it's just as poor people. I want you to see a picture of somebody who wasn't so poor. Truett Cathy is a devout Christian, died in 2014, the founder of Chick-fil-A. He was a devout Christian, taught Sunday school for more than 50 years. When he died, he was worth $6.3 billion. The next man that you'll see, David Green, devout Christian, Founder of Hobby Lobby, devout Christian, well known for generosity, philanthropy. He is worth $7.6 billion. 
This young lady that you'll see next, Jen Suk Chang. Jen and her husband are devout Christians. They are the founders of Forever 21. They print John 3.16 on their shopping bags. They have been assaulted with dozens upon dozens upon dozens of lawsuits because there's so much hatred for Christ that they attack Christ's people with lawsuits. They are worth $3.1 billion. I could go on and on and on. Friends, Christianity is not only attractive to people with little means and education. These people have a great deal of wealth, a great deal of education, but they've not set their hope in it because it's uncertain. They've set their hopes in Jesus Christ. So yes, Lydia is rich in the things of this world. Will that keep her from the gospel? Let's see. Because the first thing we see is Lydia is rich in the things of this world. But the second thing we see is Lydia is poor in the things that matter the most. See, it would be a bit of a contradiction to say Lydia is rich, Lydia is poor. That's why we say Lydia is rich in the things of this world. Lydia is poor in the things that matter most. How do we know that? Look at verse 14. The latter part of verse 14 said, The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Now, if you're you're looking, and I hope you are, I hope you're looking in your Bible and you see it said, The Lord opened opened her heart. Now, if you're thinking, okay, you're you're thinking with me. Now, wait a minute. If the Lord opened her heart, wouldn't that mean that up until that moment, Lydia's heart was closed? Think about that with me for just a moment. Lydia's down by the riverside. Gather with a group of ladies, place of prayer. Paul, Silas, his team come down and they begin to discourse about the gospel. The Lord opened her heart, which would mean that up until then, her heart was closed. What does it mean for your heart to be closed? I'm only going to use this picture as an illustration, okay? Uh, You'll see a picture of heart blockage, the right coronary artery, 100% blockage. Now, would you stop there before you get confused? When it says the Lord opened Lydia's heart, it's not talking about that fleshly ticker that we're seeing a picture of. No. See, when when the Bible speaks of the human heart, uh, it's speaking about the repository of one's core commitments. In other words, it's the very control center of your life. That's what the Lord opened. But I want to show you this picture of the fleshly ticker to make a point. This artery is 100% blocked. Or let me say it another way. It's 100% closed. 
closed. What's that, what's that mean? Well, we know what that means. That means that the blood and oxygen cannot flow through, which means you're in danger of dying. You, you, you're cut off from the life of oxygen and blood. Closed. It's pretty easy to understand, right? But what does it mean for the heart to be closed? That control center, that repository of our core commitments, our hopes, our feelings, our thinking, our behavior. What does that mean? What we're reading here is this, and you need to see this. The heart, the human heart, is naturally closed to the things of God. Up until this moment, Lydia's heart has been closed to the things of God. How do we, how do we know this? And we only know it because of the Bible. We only know it because God's told us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, notice what it says. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Now what in the world does that mean? It means that man left to himself cannot receive the things of God. We have no capacity for them. You know, we're like a storage unit. You know, we gotta, we're, like a, we're like a storage unit that has stacked to the ceiling garbage bags. And then someone knocks on the door and says, Hey, do we have any room? you have any room for diamonds in there? Nope. Nope. Got no room for diamonds. Why? Because... We're closed off from that. We don't have any capacity for diamonds. All we got room for is garbage. That's what the Bible's saying. There's no capacity for the things of God. They seem like silliness to us. Oh, that's so silly. That's so silly to believe in a man who rose from the dead. All those silly Bible stories. That's so silly. The heart's closed. The heart's closed. Now, see, if you're tracking with me, you should be going, well, wait a minute. Okay, if this is true, if it's true that the human heart is naturally closed, how did that happen? And it happened this way. God, God gave Adam and Eve freedom in the garden so they could enjoy fellowship with him. We read about that in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. But do you remember what the one restriction was? Forbidden, forbidden to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, why? Why is that? Well, it, it, not only would Adam and Eve know good and evil if they ate from it, but they would begin to determine good and evil for themselves. Now, what that means is we don't need you, God. We don't need you. We will determine. I'll determine what's good for my life. Not, not the Bible. Not the Bible. Not, 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 no. I'll determine what's good and evil for me. And see, that's why God said, you are forbidden to eat of that. And if you do, if you do, you will surely die. 
that's, that's another way of saying your heart will be closed. You see, Adam and Eve disobeyed, and in doing so, they closed themselves off from the very source of life. So you cannot go against the grain of God and think you're going to come out on the good side. They went against the grain, and they were closed off to the very giver of life. And see, you ought to, you ought to know this. Don't you, you know proud people, right? You know arrogant people. You come along, you try to give them advice, and what do they say? I don't care. I don't care. You, you know what they're doing? They're cut off. They're closed off from wisdom. You met people like that. Every time you try to give them advice, you try to help them. You're like, no, they're too proud for that. Why? Because they're closed off. Closed off. And see, the Bible teaches that we're all born in this condition. Our heart is closed to the things of God. And we need God to rescue us. I tell you what, if God doesn't open our heart, we are goners. But you see, the God of the Bible, the living God, the only God, is a heart opener. In the book of Ezekiel, he said this. Now look very closely. And I will give you a new heart. <laughs> Why? Because we need one. <laughs> I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you. What does that mean? He goes on to say, I will remove the heart of stone. Now that's a great picture of an unresponsive closed heart. A closed heart is an unresponsive heart. You know, you try to get in, it's like beating against a stone. You can't leave any kind of impression at all. Advice doesn't stick, wisdom doesn't stick. It's a heart of stone. God said, here's what I got to do. Here's what I got to do for you or you're a goner. I'm going to have to give you, you know, I got to take out this unresponsive heart and do what? And give you a heart of flesh. You see any differences between a heart of stone and a heart of flesh? Hard heart Heart of flesh, soft, responsive, open, open. That's what God did for Lydia down by the riverside. God, God opened her heart up. Just stop here for a moment, though. Because there's something here I don't want you to miss. God opened her heart. While she was in a group of ladies praying and God fearing. Now that ought to knock you right out of your seat. Because we, we might look and go, wait a minute, wait a minute, whoa, 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 whoa. She's praying. It says right there, she's a God fearer. When the New Testament speaks of a God-fearer, it's someone who went to the Jewish synagogue but had not formally converted to Judaism. 
That's what a God-fearer was. Now, here's my point. Now, don't miss this. As far as God was concerned, when he looked at Lydia, as far as he was concerned, in spite of her praying, in spite of her religious practices, in spite of her being a good person, he knew she needed her heart opened. Do you hear what I'm saying? Because there's people listening to me right now, and you've listened and you've listened, and you've got this arrogancy built up that says, I'm a good person. <laughs> I'm a good person. Lydia was a good person and she was an educated person and she was a rich person and she was God fear. No, she was kind of searching, kind of, kind of checking into this thing, but she still needed her heart opened. You hear what I'm saying? Don't sit here this morning. Don't, don't listen to me and, and say, well, look, you know, I, I kind of do my religious thing. I show up at church and I, 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 I do this and I do that. And I'm not really that bad of a person. You can do all of that and your heart be closed 100%. That's the story of Lydia. But the Lord opened her heart. How did he do it? We got any, got any indication here how he did it? Yes, we do. Verse 14 again, he opened her heart to pay attention to that which Paul said. Just want to check, see if you're with me. What do you think Paul was talking about? The weather? No. Sure nice to be down here by the riverside, isn't it, ladies? No. He's on a missionary journey. He's preaching the gospel. He's bringing the good news to city after city after city. And the Lord opened Lydia's heart to pay attention. It's an interesting Greek word. First, it means to respond. Uh, Lid, Lid, we don't know about the other ladies. We don't know. But can you imagine? I don't have to imagine this. I don't have to imagine this. I've been preaching now for, what, 36 years. I don't have to imagine this. I can see this scenario. Paul is, is, is reasoning, preaching his heart out, and people are looking out over the, over the river. Or they're looking at their songbook, or they're on their phone or whatever. So I don't have to imagine what's going on here. But Lydia is paying attention. So first, sure, she's responding. But this Greek word also means this, is to respond because you are attracted to something. What is Paul saying? He's speaking about the gospel. Who is the central figure of the gospel? Jesus Christ. And he is beautiful beyond all measure. And so I want you to think about it with this. All they had was the Old Testament. They didn't have any New Testament. 
this time. Can you imagine Paul stepping up there and he's talking? He's saying, look, let me, let me help you. This Jesus I've been talking to you about. You remember the Old Testament sacrifices? Remember the book of Exodus? All those Old Testament sacrifices, they were all pointing to Jesus as the ultimate sacrifice. All of a sudden, in Lydia's heart, well, what? What? Yeah, those bulls, those sheep, those, those doves, all those sacrifices, all the blood, all of that. Stuff. Like, why, why was that? It was all pointing to Jesus. And then Paul might say, you know all those food laws? You know all those Sabbath keeping? Keeping the Sabbath, special days, all that stuff? All was pointing to Jesus and all were fulfilled in Jesus. What? See, what, what she was hearing was beautiful. She got it. She got it. It landed upon her heart. All those sacrifices, all that blood. Why? Because of our sin. Our sin separated us from God. We need, we need, we need a mediator. And Jesus is that ultimate mediator. And Lydia got it. She was busy staring at over the, 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 the river and thinking about what she's going to eat later. It landed upon her. It was good news of what Jesus had done for her. It became real and sweet to her heart that Jesus who was rich became poor, that those who were poor in the things that mattered the most might become rich. That was real and sweet to her. And as a result, she was baptized, which means that her life came under the management of Jesus. She's like, look, I'm not looking any further. I want this Jesus. I want to walk with him, my life under his management. Yeah. Lydia was rich. In the things of this world, Lydia was poor in the things that mattered the most. But finally, what we see here is this. We see Lydia becoming truly rich. Look at verse 15. This another verse that ought to blow you right out of the seat. Middle of verse 15. If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord... Come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Now, why is that a big deal? Why should that blow you out of your seat? It's because that Lydia is actually saying, do you notice the words she used? Judge me. Oh, man, what do you hear? What do you hear in the world today? Don't judge me. You don't got no business judging me. Who do you think you are to judge me? Lydia's heart is open, and what, what does she say? Hey, guys, will you judge me? <laughs> hey, you ought to be going, what? What is she saying here? She's saying, guys, would you examine me and see if there's any evidence, any fruit that I have truly been born again? Yeah. She's actually saying to the Apostle Paul, would, would you examine me? Would you judge me? 
It's if there's any fruit, any, any, any evidence that I have been faithful to the Lord. And there is. Oh, there is evidence that she's been faithful to the Lord. Because what you begin to see is Lydia closing the door to those activities that she used to partake of as her heart is now open to the promotion and the seeking of the kingdom of God. What did Jesus say? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Her heart has been opened to the grace of the Lord Jesus Lydia's life now as a result. Her heart's been open. Listen, her heart was open, but now what do you see next? Her life is opened. Because the first thing she says is, hey, if you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, if you've examined me and I'm the real deal, there's fruit. (laughs) If you have, then I want you to come to my home. I want you to come and stay there. See, these are traveling missionaries. I don't have a place to stay. She shows hospitality. She, she begins to see the first thing that happens when her heart's open, when the generosity of Jesus has become real to her, she in turn becomes generous. She is eager to serve. That's what it means when it says she prevailed upon us. She was begging us, let me serve you. Let me serve you. Don't you see a picture, it's a museum of the Bible. It opened in November 2017 in Washington, D.C. $500 million to build that building uh, by donations. <laughs> you go, <laughs> see, some people go, what in the world would you spend $500 million on a, on a museum for the Bible? It's because the Bible is God's word. And people don't really understand and they don't know and they need to know. And so $500 million was raised. And do you know who made the biggest donation? David Green, founder of Hobby Lobby. Because you see, when, when the reality that Christ who was rich became poor, so that we who were poor might become rich, when that landed upon him, not only did it open his heart, it opened up his life. It opened up his stuff. And you say, I know, I hear you. Well, yeah, he's you know, $7.3 billion. He's got all kinds of money. Surely he can do that. Well, then let me tell you another story. Heiko Oberman, theologian who traveled to China, he went to a church in China of 900 people. And... In that church that day was an older Chinese woman who used to live in that city of, in China but was now living in Los Angeles, California, and she had come back for a visit to her brothers and sisters in China. They asked her to come up and tell what was going on in Los Angeles, and she began to tell about the church in Los Angeles where she was attending, and it was growing, and, and, and people were coming to Christ, and they were having to build a new building. She got finished. She went and sat down. At the end of the service, the pastor called her back up and said, Look, we want to give you the offering this morning to take back and put on that church building. It was only $150. What no David Green's there that day, but what there was there that day were hearts 
hearts that were open to serve others and to promote and advance the kingdom of God. Let me ask you just a few questions before we go. Has your heart been opened? You see, I don't want to be overly dramatic here, but I do need to make a point. You know that there are people walking around with blocked arteries. And some, some maybe 60%, 70%. But you, you know, you know this. There are people that are walking around with 95, even 100, and they don't know it. They're walking time bomb. They don't know it. So let me ask you this. Is your heart open to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because if it is not, that means it is closed. And that means that you have 100% spiritual blockage and you are a ticking time bomb, man. Think about it. Because your heart's either opened or it's closed. And could it be, oh, I pray that it be, if your heart was closed today when you came, could it be that God has placed the key in your heart today and the tumblers are beginning to turn? The key of the gospel, because that's what opens the closed heart. Could it be that even right now there's someone here today or there's someone watching by live stream or somebody will be hearing this over the radio. Could it be that God is inserting the key to unlock the closed heart? Another question, have you, have you been baptized Placing your life under the management of Jesus. First, if you have, then live your life under the management of Jesus. Do not bring shame and disgrace to Christ and his church. You have been called to live a holy life. So live your life under the management of Jesus. But if you have not been baptized... If you say, you know, I believe this stuff. I believe in Jesus. Have you been baptized? Be baptized as one of his followers and bring your life under the management of Jesus. Another question. Are you willing to do what Lydia did and say this? Examine me. Judge me. Examine me and see if there's any evidence that I have been born again. What would, what would the ride home sound like? You look over at your spouse and say, Honey, I need you to judge me. I mean, that in itself just sounds crazy because we live in a world where, don't judge me. We don't want anybody poking into our business. What, what kind of a ride home would it be this afternoon? Honey, would you judge me? 
would you examine me? Would you just kind of look and tell me the truth? Is, is there any evidence that I'm born again? Is there ever, any evidence that I'm really a follower of Jesus? Because I don't want to deceive myself. Honey, would you tell me? Because I don't want to be deceived. I don't want to be among that group on that day that Jesus said, there's going to be many, many who say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this for you and do that for you? Didn't I stand up and say, yes, I'm a Christian. Didn't I do that? You remember what he said, right? I'm going to say to those, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness, for I never knew you. I never had a relationship with you. See, it'd be a good thing. It'd be a loving thing to say, would you examine me? Because I don't want to fool myself. I don't want to deceive myself. I don't want to be telling everybody I'm a Christian when I'm really not. I don't want to be telling everybody my heart's open when it's closed 100% to the things of God because I think I'm a good person. I'm I'm well enough. Because to the degree that you see Jesus who was rich, becoming poor, that you might become rich, there will be evidence. Oh, yeah. There will be. And don't you think, don't, don't you think, I can fix this myself. Because what did we read this morning? What is impossible with men is only possible with God. 